You are listening to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring you the best tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for change through our powerful interviews with change management practitioners and leaders. And now here's your host, Teresa Moulton. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. My name is Teresa Moulton. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review, and I am thrilled to have one of my colleagues, Dana Houston-Jackson of 1898 and Company, to be sharing information about metrics with us today. And just so you can know about Dana, Dana Houston Jackson is a senior change management advisor with 1898 and Co., the consulting arm of Burns and McDonald. With her boots on the ground career spanning 25 plus years in dozens of roles for multiple industries, including utilities, energy, manufacturing, technology, nonprofit, and academia. Her superpower is simplifying the complex, getting to the root and meat of issues, and simplifying solutions that move initiatives rapidly forward. So without any further ado, I want to welcome Dana Houston-Jackson. Thank you, Teresa. I appreciate that introduction. Yes, we're so so excited to hear you um, share. Yeah, thanks your... for ha- thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back, and uh, you've always got such um, pertinent content. I know I know you put a lot of research and effort into uh, the material that you convey uh, in the marketplace. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about. Um, your perspectives on metrics and change metrics and and all of that. So thanks again for coming and sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want anyone to waste time, right? Uh, right. Do a lot of research and get to it. Not all work's equally important. If we can get right to a particular route and make one switch and it have a domino effect, then whew, right? right. I've only got so many waking hours in the day. Right. Yeah. I think that's thought leadership at, the, at its best. Um, okay, so why don't we just jump in? Um, one of the questions that that I had for you after looking at and reading some of the information that you gave me is, what do metrics and culture have to do with each other? Yeah, great question. Um, back in 2020 and 2021, I spoke a lot about change saturation, right? Change weariness. I mean, we were all okay. living it and breathing it. And in part of that research, it got down to shifting culture as a foundational ingredient for any long-lasting transformational work that we're going to need to do to overcome saturation and change weariness. Mm-hmm. Um, and just so that we don't get glossy-eyed, right, and we can level set on culture, that's simply defined here as how things are done around here right now. Not six months ago, not a year ago, but right now. It's less about really those individual behaviors and more about workplace patterns and functions, right? How does the workplace function? That's what I'm talking through. But I did uh, further research on that subject since those talks to get below, you know, why have these patterns become so deeply embedded without really being fully tackled head on successfully in some cases? I mean, something is holding these patterns in place. I've got some people who have told me that they feel stuck kind of like a needle that just keeps skipping, fixed in a record groove. So what was it? And that's what brought me to measures and performance management and measuring people and process and change. And uh, 
fundamentally what I found was what and how we are measuring is allowing these patterns to form and then stay stuck in our organizations and teams. It's really the sand and the gears for a lot of our change work. Sounds like it. I'm, I'm excited to hear more. Um, so what do you think metrics and executive attention and focus have to do with each other? Well, Peter Drucker has that famous saying, what gets measured gets managed, right? Right. Yeah, it's a real, it's it's a saying for a really good reason. <laughs> Measuring anything, it's like gravity. It pulls our attention and our action towards the center, towards mm-hmm. the most important thing that we should focus on and improve. I mean, Teresa, just think about any conversations you've had with executives just in the past month, right? I know Mm -hmm. you're consulting with quite a few of them. How Mm -hmm. often does measures and measuring something come up? Right. Quite often. And I mean, dashboard, they're dashboard uh, crazy now, right? Oh, oh, yeah. Big time. And what are all those graphs and slides and Power BI doing to their focus? Where's their attention? What they're mainly talking about improving is something to do with a metric um, or a measure. Right. And change management's kind of been creeping up into that area where they can, where we can put a dashboard up that makes sense. But, you know, there's, there's always some baked in assumptions about what those metrics are. And I never fully thought they really represented the whole people side of change. Um, So how have you found that um, metrics, executive attention and focus can help or hinder our change work? You know, there's a lot of material out of the fields of psychology and sociology Mm. and anthropology that Mm -hmm. talk about an infant coming into the world with a pretty clean slate, right? Then the environment and the people around them, they start to influence their attitudes and thus their behaviors as they grow up, right? Mm -hmm. And, And we'll keep it that simple. But there's some similarity here to with our new hires that are coming into organizations and to our existing executives and people, they have to work and operate within the constraints of the business process and structures that exist. I mean, let me repeat that. <laughs> Anyone listening to this, you and your new hires and your <laughs> folks have to work and operate within the constraints of the business processes and structures that exist. Mm-hmm. And the only other two options for these folks is they can try to change it or leave. And with the whole great resignation and some of these hiring difficulties, we're really trying to figure out how do we keep folks from leaving and help them with the change part. And that really is driving a spotlight, I think, on metrics. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the frustration really comes along because people don't own the processes. And that's causing some of this friction of folks even getting along and wanting to stay. A new survey came out just last year, and I'm blanking out on who did it. I I stuck it on LinkedIn here, but it was a survey of CEOs, uh, two or 300 of them, and they were claiming that what they're struggling with the most is keeping focus on strategic progress and Mm. just simply getting people to get along with each other because they've been so stressed out of their right. normal behavior, right? Right. Uh, I mean, there's one thing these two years have certainly given us, that that's a lower tolerance of BS. Right. <laughs> As the thin social veneer has been pulled back to see behind. So just not all organizations and executives give permission and time and resources and priority to the w- working on the business 
right? And that's what gives you those long-term leverages so you don't have to work so hard to get the same results. That's where change management comes in. What can we change working on the business? Mm. Um, most just want you to work in the business. And I think that's a great market. distinction. Yeah. So high, any kind of high-functioning culture, which is what we're after, right? That really does give permission, time, resources, and priority, and even incentives, right? To work on the business because they know just a little bit of time, effort invested now, that only makes people fully own the success and it pays them back as a business over and over and over again. So what I'm hearing you say is that metrics and cult culture um, and the way they work together and show up uh, basically allow folks to work on the business even though they're working within the business infrastructure that exists. Yes. That's so, one piece of it. Absolutely. Okay. So you've been talking about the dark side of KPIs. Uh-huh. How, how are metrics in the hunger game similar? <laughs> All right. Almost always KPIs are not within the complete control of an individual. All right. Mm-hmm. And that leads to really a few negative consequences. People will either mess with the figures you know, Mm -hmm. fudge the figures or figure out ways around the system or just barely making a little bit of improvement, right? A target that they can stomach, just up it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Those are the dark sides of KPIs, right? Right. Or or how about when those metrics aren't fully in your control personally, right? As you're not over all the processes in an organization, most of us aren't. Right. But when those metrics are used to measure you against other people, in your same department or your team. And then there's some kind of hunger game contest at the end of the year to grab a bigger portion of the bonus pie or a higher HR ranking. I mean, that's not uncommon. I've worked (laughs) with three separate companies just in the past year that have this going on. But I have to ask, is that healthy? Right. I mean, in a state of fear or defensiveness, people can't be creative and without creativity, bold shifts in performance and transformations can't happen. And it's not, this isn't about how we lead. We've got smart people and executives. This is about what to give their and our attention to as we lead. And it's those measures being the gravity that pulls the leader's attention into focus. Can you say that again? Because I think that brings the bottom line of this, co- this talk together really well. Yeah. Measures being the gravity that pulls the leader's attention into focus. Yes. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Because it, it's it, we really do have smart people and executives. Uh, again, none of this discussion on metrics is about how we lead. It's about what to give and our attention to as we lead. And that's what's so critical about, about this discussion, because as I mentioned earlier, um, it's not just that you're measuring things to get the attention. It's what should change management um, professionals be measuring and sharing to get the attention they want. And exactly. Need. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and I think from that, then we can discuss, I, I, I had to unveil, at least for myself, some of the reasons why they chose not to do that. What was some of the dysfunction okay, great. that they ran up against? Um, that that would make it difficult for them to do something like that. And what did you come up with? Well, uh, if we're talking about mindset, we're talking about a dysfunctional mindset, right? Mm-hmm. It, as a word, what we're talking about, it's a collection of people's attitudes about something. It's their thoughts, yeah. emotions, or experiences. That all shapes their attitudes. 
But it's our attitude, even about metrics, that can often get in the way of our actions, our attitudes about anything, uh, mm-hmm. especially that includes how we're measuring people. Um, and a great deal of our mindsets form as we grow up. So it doesn't help that we've been raised at an early age, especially in America, with our personal metrics being grades as a form of punishment. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about all those tests and papers you turned in and how you mm-hmm. felt when they were being passed out. Right. Mm -hmm. And educators can say, sure, hey, it's learning, not judging. That's what grading is. But that's not at all how we interpret it as a child. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, were we also being ranked one against another on the as those papers were being passed out at the same time and we could read each other's expressions or even see the grades? I mean, my teenager son, he comes home from from uh, public high school. Right. And between the papers and social media, everyone seems to know what everyone else has scored. Uh, And the point. Right. Yeah. The point being that measures have to be tools in people's hands, not rods on their backs. As Stacey Barr points out in her book, Prove It, it's an uphill battle. If we make it all about success or failure on an individual basis, it reinforces kind of this dwindling spiral that goes from monitoring to judging to Mm -hmm. threats to defensiveness to making performance worse which leads to more monitoring and Mm -hmm. on and on and on for executives Mm -hmm. you know it's interesting i have a client right now where part of the transformation that we're putting in place involves uh creating dashboards on a part of the organization that has been able to operate separately um you know, maybe eight different business, similar businesses separately without having to share their metrics collectively. And, you know, some of the folks, the executives that I'm actually coaching and speaking with have what I call metric anxiety, <laughs> because I think in a lot of it comes back to how metrics were used as we grew up and, you know, and then the ambiguity around well, if they measure this, what are they going to find out that I don't know about? Ah, um, yes. Yeah. So I think that is it's de- definitely some of it. There is a way around that, though. I mean, mm-hmm. what you're describing is some of the errors in our change management process, right, on yes. how we how we measure differently. But there's really little point in getting stuff done if we're not aiming the efforts at the results we want to achieve. Right. Right. I mean, I've argued in the past and you've heard this, of course, that we can always do less and still get better results. Right. Really, in how we define and clarify and measure those results. And one issue that we're faced with is that there are errors in our measurement process. I mean, these Mm -hmm. errors being often that metrics that are used for folks are not ones that they chose to use, right? They're Mm -hmm. also not ones that they that are really measuring the real in-world results. And and typically the the metrics that are chosen are being chosen because they're easy, right? The data is readily available or they're traditional, right? It's what we are used to measuring, right? We really, really haven't rethunk it, right? Mm -hmm. It's just what we've been used to for so long. Mm-hmm. They also can be obvious, right? The widgets that we made or the resources that we have, those are obvious or, or popular. Everyone in our industry, that's, an, that's a common one I get. Everyone's using these uh, measures in our industry to measure it. And so we have to do it as well. As change managers, uh, we can do, let's say we say number of people trained or number of coaching sessions delivered, right? number of change activities completed. Those are some common metrics of change managers. Not exciting. 
No, not exciting. Well, what happens if those metrics were all uptrending and yet the project and its people didn't create the value, right? right? And the results that it was chartered to do. <laughs> They're I mean, almost superficial, uh, superficial metrics in a way, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can see keeping, if I'm a project coordinator and my job is to get people to a training class, absolutely. I'm going to keep number of people that have shown up, but that's not the final metric they're talking when that's not the strategic metric metric that shows that the change has been made and the results have, have been achieved. Right. So um, you spoke about key errors in our change measurement process, change measurement process and how we, how do we measure differently? And that brings me to the, the thought of, you know, what we can measure might be, like you said, obvious, but what are the right things to measure? How do we get the right metrics that are like activity-based that are going to allow us to really hone in on the dynamics within the beast, I guess, is, is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. And I'm really glad that you asked an activity based measure because that actually is part of where we've gone off the rails a little bit. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah, there's I want to talk a little bit about the evidence-based measurement system. Uh, the evidence-based measurement period, it's a relatively new school of thought and action. It's okay. coming more and more into vogue. And, and, and for any of those that are hearing this and, and haven't, aren't familiar with it, well worth researching. Um, it's called evidence-based period. Then you have evidence-based leadership, evidence-based management, evidence-based measurement. I mean, you get the idea of the different mm-hmm. branches of the school. Mm-hmm. But the idea of being evidence-based is fundamentally putting real-world results front and center, not activities, not a list of initiatives. Um, mm-hmm. And just to make sure we've level set on the words so that we can get to the point of it, when I say evidence here, I mean it's the description of how we'd observe or detect things playing out in the real world, the evidence of it. And when I say results, I'm talking those are the states or the qualities that are enduring or keep going on, right? It's keep on keeping on. It's not the same as benefits. All benefits are not these results I'm talking about. And all results are certainly benefits though. Right. Could you give an example, Dana? Yeah, you bet. Um, I would also want to say too, actions wise, when I'm talking about actions, we're talking about those are actions that we would take to improve a result once it's carried out. So when I say we've got to start with the results first as change practitioners, That would be answers to these questions. What would we see after the change has been made? Or what would we want to see after the change has been made? If we can facilitate those answers in all their elements and glory and in plain language, not a bunch of weasel words, right? That's our task. Because once we have those results named, then we can move on to the evidence that proves that those results have happened. And once everyone agrees to the evidence that proves those results have happened, then, and only then, can we have (laughs) useful measures of that evidence. Thus, it's evidence-based measurement. Okay. That's great. Um, So how do you you see it work 
and being applied in our world of change? Oh, it's it's a great question. And how I have seen it work and how I've been using it uh, a lot most recently is I start with the question of what results do you want to see after the change Mm -hmm. has been made, right? What do you Mm -hmm. want to see if this was done specifically in all of its details? And that takes time Mm because most folks too, they start to talk about it and they immediately jump into the metrics discussion. And that's Mm -hmm. where we want to sway them away from. We want to talk instead. We really want them to uh, be talked into (laughs) that question of what they would see after the change has been made. Then what evidence would we see in the real world that that has happened. So in having those discussions, and that can take uh, minutes to hours, right? That can even take days of it. Um, But it's after that discussion, then the metrics almost naturally start to flow out of it. And if we steer them away from what have they most commonly been using versus the metrics to measure that evidence, all of a sudden we see a, a, a completely different outcome and focus because then it becomes okay to do less, to get the mm. same result. It all of a sudden becomes okay to, oh, I don't really need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G and have all of these people. I could actually get the result this way because what matters in the end is the result. And are we getting there? Uh, it really helps with some dysfunction. I, I'm really fond of Stacey Barr's book, uh, Prove It. I think you and I have chatted about that yes. one before. It's uh, The full title is How to Create a High-Performance Culture and Measurable Success. She's mm-hmm. out of Australia. We actually just had her speaking at ACMP Midwest. Uh, oh, okay. Change managers uh, there. The second one that I like uh, as part of kind of a joint presentation is Measure What Matters from John Dewar. And that is packed full of case studies. Uh, You know, as an MBA person, I know you've seen that many times, right? Yes. Um, That one's full of it. Uh, uh, Stacey gives an example of how she applied this. And and because this is, is probably out of the purview of anybody listening, it's a good example to bring up. She was working with a company to end and is really an alliance more than anything to end homelessness in Australia. And she worked on their strategic purpose, and they finally got it down to, as a strategic vision, uh, she got it down to an alliance works towards, right, as Mm -hmm. opposed to ending, but it works towards ending because there is no 100% in this world, Mm -hmm. but works towards ending homelessness by improving homelessness policy, building on the ground capacity, and educating opinion leaders. So there's three focus areas mm-hmm. that focus then on how you would make the improvement and work towards ending homelessness. And the metrics that she worked them through, um, I thought were very illuminating. The metrics that they came up with as a team was the average length of time persons remained homeless, mm-hmm. the, the medium length of time persons remained homeless, the percentage of persons who returned to homelessness. Mm -hmm. the number of homeless persons, the percentage of homeless persons who gain or increase income, and lastly, the number of persons who become homeless the first time. Mm -hmm. And when you look at all of those seven basic metrics, which are the strategic metrics, you could see, ah, all of a sudden it becomes crystal clear to any executive who needs to make some decisions 
Um, where are we in relation to our strategic vision of ending homelessness by improving homelessness policy, building on the ground capacity and educating opinion leaders, right? It right. all of a sudden aligns from the top to the bottom and the bottom to the top. Right. That would be a great example of how to use these evidence-based results and the evidence of it before you get into the subject of metrics. That's that's really um that's really a good example. And, and I really I really understood that. Um how what would be an example of evidence-based uh, metrics used from a change management professional perspective? Yeah, great. Um I had a project that was doing grid modernization. And in it was a one aspect of it was the implementation of a particular software system. Mm-hmm. And of course, the traditional number of people going to training was a metric that was proposed. And I'm like, absolutely, the uh, coordinator can keep that to make sure we have a checklist to, that we didn't leave anyone off. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't tell me how effective that training was. Um, so from that, I'm like, well, what are we expecting them to do after the training? If the training was done well, what would we expect them to do? Right. And the answers and the conclusions we basically came up with is a certain behavior within the system, right? Uh, how long they're in the system, uh, things that they're processing, number of reports that they're doing, et cetera. So we we designed metrics around that because that's what I wanted to see is the effectiveness of the training. Are they performing it? Um, and if they weren't performing it at the levels we needed or increasingly uh, performing it uh, as to what we had where we didn't have kind of... Um, some of these reports that were outstanding with questions that were sitting in the queue and some things like that, then we could tell there was a gap. And whether that meant we'd fill it with training or whether we would coach it, but there was a gap in the accomplishment. If those metrics were uptrending and meeting the targets that we wanted, then we know we were being effective. So what I just want to highlight uh, for folks, which every, you know, everybody probably thinks this is really obvious, Teresa, um, but is that if you take the example you just gave and you compare it to counting the number of people who have gone through training versus what is preventing adoption, you know, because are they performing the way they need to in order to work in the new world? That's what matters. That's right? right. And so I think in a way, if we're using metrics as change professionals that are not evidence-based, it puts us in a, it kind of creates a perspective or perception about us that, oh yeah, that's change management. They can count the numbers versus realization metrics as Daryl Connor talks about what are the metrics that uh, were measures that are in place after the implementation, right? Not the installation metrics about, okay, we went live, you know, we made our date, the budgets in, you know, that kind of stuff, but what are the real world results that we're actually getting that um, communicate to everyone that this change is successful. And to me, the type of metric that you just described is really what we need to be making sure um, that we have on those scorecards and dashboards, because otherwise it can make our our work look like, okay, so they get out a number of emails or a number of emails are opened, you know, um, and and the the real question we wanna, the real answer we wanna know is, how many people are using the site after the email goes out, you know, um, and how far are they clicking in? And and so it's those activity-based metrics, those evidence-based metrics that I think we as professionals need to spend some time really ensuring are on our dashboards 
um, because we have a reputation uh, to uphold in terms of being, quote unquote, real business professionals, not just people who work with the soft stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you, it's it's actually a little dam- more damaging than even that. It's not okay. even just an omission because if you have incorrect metrics and what metrics you do, remember, is going to pull that executive attention. It can be noise. It, it, right. it can absolutely be an unfocused signal. You can unfocus your executives on what matters most. And in a world where change is happening uh, so quickly and so much of it, and our people one for one are feeling for the most part saturated and weary, prioritization has never been more important. What are they going to prioritize? They're going to prioritize on whatever metrics are being used to measure them personally and their areas. And if those metrics aren't the results-based, but are activity or initiative completion-based, we don't know for sure that doing all of that work and spending all of that money on those activities or initiatives are actually going to result in the real-world change that we wanted to see in the first place. Right. That, that's, yeah. I think that's a huge point. The noise. It is. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I'm a Cosmos fan. I don't know if you know that about me, Teresa. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a Cosmos fan. And Carl Sagan, he notes in Cosmos, he says, if we lived on a planet where nothing ever changed, there would be little to do. There would be nothing to figure out, right? I mean, if the world was completely predictable, then organizations, they'd be like perfect machines where all the outcomes are precisely produced as intended. And we could absolutely measure that because our control would be 100%. Therefore, if it went up or down, we know that it was within our purview to change. But our organizations are not deterministic machines, right? They are infinitely complex because humans and their thoughts and decisions and attitudes are what make up an organization. So we have to focus their attention on what's really important. And that really kind of loops back to the first question around, you know, what do metrics and culture have to do with each other? Yes. Yeah, it it absolutely does. You can see how it ties in. The wrong metrics is going to drive the wrong culture. Part of handling culture itself, if you're trying to establish a new culture, is it's time to rethink, rethunk those metrics, right? It's time to actually pull it back from using metrics as rods on people's back. And that never works. That's not going to create a high-performance culture. And especially if we're assigning metrics to them too, how about instead we give them an area and a purview that they're over and have them work through what metrics would show the results that were being achieved. And then as a team, uh, we're making those metrics happen, which is a win-win for the business as well as the individual. So it's really two parts here. I mean, there's organization and organizational metrics and individual metrics and performance review. And this subject happens to tap upon both of them, right? Uh, There's some metrics, obviously, if you're trying to compare one industry to another, you're not going to throw away. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that those metrics are going to give you that strategic progress uh, Mm -hmm. up or down so that executives and folks can make good decisions. Right. So Dana, tell me how you're using this concept in your work with 1898 and co. Yeah, 1898 and co has really found that the need of a change management portfolio service, a change management um, portfolio sets of tools uh, are necessary in Mm -hmm. order to 
take the infinite amount of change that is happening and organize it in such a way so that it isn't a bunch of noise or we got unfocused signals and therefore unfocused executives and therefore not enough sponsorship and not enough activity or interest or investment into creating the changes that the organization most needs and wants made. Um, so with the lack of a change, uh, kind of all of the change initiatives being run at a portfolio level, right. we find confusion. Um, if we can uh, illustrate and identify through a you know software tool, through processes, and through mindsets, uh, the change portfolio of initiatives and thus programs and thus projects, and illustrate what impacts are being done on various different groups and people at various times, then we find that executives can make much uh, better decisions uh, that have good domino effects because they can see, you know what, that's too much at one time, or let's spread that out, or, hey, let's concentrate on these three as the top priority, right? Mm -hmm. These are the three that must be made. So let's focus on that. What does that look like now as to how much communication is hitting which division department or individual? What does Mm -hmm. that look like as to how much training I'm asking them to go through, right? It just becomes a a sane discussion because Mm -hmm. you have all the data there. So as part of our change management portfolio system and service, um, we've got a great tool that we've brought on board and that we've partnered with, Change Plan. Um, and metrics was an area that needed to be understood and confronted as to how are we going to do it differently? Because mm-hmm. if we do it the same, uh, what was it? Uh, do the same thing and expect uh, the same results <laughs> or do Insanity. the same thing over and over, right? Insanity, right. that's right, all right? So we can't do the same thing and expect different results here and it not be insane. So uh Trying to trying to shift gears on that a little bit. Yeah. You know, I um I'm having such a, a great time in this conversation. I, I have to get this question out, um, which is with the evidence-based metrics and the use of how they show up in the portfolio service that you're providing, um, how do you expect the results of those metrics um, to work in? strategic initiative prioritization across the firm? Because I always thought that, um, you know, the PMO or whatever the strategy office is, is trying to figure out, you know, which are of our investments and strategic initiatives we're going to put first, second, third, fourth, I don't know, some of them go down to 40. And, but they don't take into consideration the people side, the change impacts. And now we're finally, it feels to me like we're finally, getting down to it. You know, we're getting down to the the nitty gritty around um, real metrics around the content areas that we work in that will answer real questions that um, 15 years ago as a professional of change, you could only kind of um, say that, you know, this might be a saturation issue or, you know, this group is getting hit by three projects at once you know, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but you can see that there's more projects than one hitting this group. Um, so it's a kind of a convoluted uh, question, Dana, but um, do you have any thoughts on on that statement? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great statement because first of all, I agree with you. People process technology, right? Mm-hmm. The, finally, the people, folks and the aspects of it, there's been enough uh, money lost 
time lost, energy lost on uh, the, not bringing the people on board with the process mm-hmm. and technology that it's being given its due. Now mm-hmm. with that, um, with that piece of it comes, okay, how do we then integrate the people into the solutions of the process of technology? Mm-hmm. It, it, it rolls back from there though, as to why are we bothering to even make a change on the process and the technology? What are we really after in the real world? Um, and from that, uh, what I am finding is where we're implementing these concepts, less work is being identified as the priority. And mm. all of a sudden it becomes where we're not overwhelming the folks That's- so much and more can get done because when it is so noisy and there's so much going on and you can't focus them that's a problem. And that is the in the area of leadership. Executives own the priorities of an organization. Well, if executives aren't being given all of the data because we don't have the tool in place and we don't have the process in place to run our change management like a portfolio, then you're going to find they're overloaded and they're saturated and they're change weary as well. And the decisions that they make may not be as effective as having all of the data in front of them and coaching them towards a prioritization. I mean, to me, that's the holy grail. If you can help a company actually put the rationale together that represents the full picture of what should be prioritized and consider it considered in that decision. Um, I mean, that's something that companies have wanted to be able to do forever, Absolutely. but I don't think they've been bringing the people side of the um, into the equation because yeah. if they haven't been able to do it. It's and all I think, bit. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying it's all bet based, you know, it's been based on strategic metrics and KPIs and um, the PMO brings forward, you know, budget and duration and schedule and all that and investment. But when it, then, th- then those, those initiatives get selected and then it's like, what it, can we actually execute in the real world? Do we have to put our people through um, 20 change initiatives within an 18 month period of time where the impact from all the change initiatives equals one and a half people, never mind their full-time job. Right. Exactly. Right. There's no focus. And as soon as we just, when there's no focus, proper prioritization and proper focus, Folks, you know, they get disheartened. They can't get it all done. And right. if they keep, if that keeps on keeping on, that's when you see a lot of folks leave. When we talk about the great resignation and shuffle, I was just going a lot there. of yeah. that, yeah, a lot of that's happening because just folks aren't getting the satisfaction of their job. We know from research that folks need far more than a paycheck to right. keep them motivated. Right. Right. If they're not getting it done and it looks like they will never succeed in actually accomplishing everything that needs to be accomplished, boom, you'll find what was it? There was a recent study of McKinsey showing the number of executives that are jumping ship. Yes. Right. They're like, okay, that's it. I can't. I believe fundamentally part of that is the lack of prioritization and focus. And if we can move it to evidence based management, leadership and statistics and measures, all of a sudden it removes a lot of the noise and it focuses on that's what we want is that result. Hey, does anyone here have a better idea on how to get it than the way we've been doing it for the past five, 10 years? You might find boots on ground over there in Topeka says, yes. By the way, if you just did this, you would end up saving hundreds and thousands of man hours. Great. All of a sudden, that's then what gets done. And the definition uh, becomes the result. 
the measure becomes a result. I was working with one utility recently in their grid modernization project, and their regulatory body pulled over $40 million from their budget this year, suddenly. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason was the lack of evidence towards the results being achieved in the real world versus Mm. metrics that were being kept that showed internal improvements or system improvements or a something internal versus what the actual rate payers wanted to see. Right. Right. There's a, there's a disconnect. Again, we get so focused on what's traditional, what's obvious to measure, what's been being measured that we lose sight on, wait a minute, what really is in the end, not from our viewpoint, from the right. folks that are funding it, what do they need and want, right? And how do we work backwards from there? It's fascinating. It's, it's really great, fascinating. It's a great subject, right? I just, it is. These poor folks that are just in record grooves, right? They're just stuck in these grooves and they just keep going on and on and until such a time is just, okay, that's it. I've had enough. I've done what I can do. I'm jumping. I'm jumping off the record, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm at the 45 <laughs> RPM if I want to date myself. There we go, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So Dana, in terms of the bottom line, what do you think the takeaway is uh, for folks about, about this topic in terms of metrics and, and change management? Yeah, my the takeaway for change practitioners, right, because this is mainly a conversation towards change practitioners, is it's up to us to facilitate a discussion with our executives. If we want more sponsorship, if we want executive attention, and if we want to do something effective towards eliminating change saturation and change weariness in our field folks and in our operational and boots on ground folks, then we're going to need and want to have the conversation around redefining in-world results, identifying the evidence that that's achieved, and coming up with metrics that may not have been the traditional, obvious, easy ones to keep, and working through how do we really focus our executives on prioritization so that folks can take, yay, a win, a success. I did it, right? It really was accomplished, and it's less rods on their back where they're feeling as a that metrics are punitive and punitive in nature, but actually become a productive insight and a learning tool to how do we improve? How do we make that continuous improvement that we want? Very well said. I, th- I appreciate that. So thank you for your time, Dana. Um, this has been a fascinating conversation. How can folks get a hold of you and your work uh, at 1898 and co.? I appreciate that. I have obviously LinkedIn. Dana Houston Jackson on LinkedIn is an easy way to get a hold of me. And then 1898 and Co. host a blog itself and a website. Uh, Just Google that in my name, and you'll also find a whole series of articles on the same topic if you'd like to research more. I do highly recommend Stacey Barr's book, Prove It. Um, And I highly recommend John Dewar's book on Measure What Matters, but I recommend them together meaning one without the other, I find was a bit insufficient. Um, both of them together from the viewpoint of a change practitioner is is what I would recommend starting with Stacey Barr's work. Oh, that's great recommendation. Um, and I'd like to just uh, mention that uh, Dana has been uh, part of our 
expert team at Change Management Review for quite a few years. So there are different webinars online. She's written articles online at Change Management Review. And in May, she's going to have a webinar on this topic uh, that we're going to be featuring. And we'll keep you posted uh, in in the Change Management Weekly. But I just want to let you know it's up and coming and we're very excited about it. Uh, to hear more. Yeah. Thank you, Teresa. I really appreciate you hosting that and having a website that planet-wide all change practitioners can dip into to help uh, them with their career and help others overcome whatever it is that's their sand and their gears. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, we'll surely have you back again and um, really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Teresa. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.